But welcome back to another impactful night of the Impact Educational Leadership. This is episode 126. I'm your host, IDP, for it. I just run third. Tonight's times are Kia Hall, Buddy Jordan, Sandy Roberts, and Patricia Sedler. Buddy Jordan, please say hello to the people. Good evening, everybody, and uh, good evening to all my esteemed panel mates. Kia Hall, please say hello to the people. Good evening, everyone. I'm excited. Uh, about being on tonight and hello to the wonderful panelists as well. Wonderful, wonderful. And Patricia Sedler, please say hello to the people. Hello everybody. I feel honored to be here tonight. I'm excited for the connections and uh, good evening. Thank you for having me. So glad to have you all here. Night is going to be a night of fellowship. Yeah. Oh, that is so necessary. Fellowship. So necessary. And the topic for tonight is developing our young people. Educating students includes helping them develop the skills to be clear about their values while still interacting with people who may have diverse backgrounds. Educators use tools like the practical assessment to help support individual children's learning exclusively. It involves tools and approaches that are appropriate to individual children and are undertaking in settings familiar to them. We want our children to have expressive and healthy relationships throughout their education and personal and school settings. We prepare them, we prepare them for this when we are, when we show, when we model loving, supportive illustrations, displays, demonstrations, while giving them that supportive interplay that supportive conversation that's transparent, that's real, that's real talk. No matter what situation in which they find themselves in, whether it be suicidal thoughts, whether it be depression, you name it. And so it's that transparent relationship that we bring home tonight as we help our teens navigate through peer pressure, peer culture, to build those leadership skills necessary to be the next world change agents and leaders. And in the process, we teach them how to accept failure. In the process, we teach them how to learn different cultures and play essential roles in preparing them with social skills necessary for developing our young people's mindsets moving forward. Hey, tonight, I'm, I'm so glad we have these panelists on. Uh, first, let me let me bring to the panelists, uh, Buddy Thornton, what are you doing currently, sir? And then after you, I wanna, I wanna add Sandy Roberts, uh, what she's got going on after that. But Buddy Thornton, please let us know what you got going on, sir. Well, currently I'm doing the research and writing books three and four of my Slippery Slope series. And uh, books three and four are about the interaction and the play between parents, teachers, and their caregivers and the children, the students that are in their sphere of influence. And uh, this topic tonight just really goes hand in hand with that. Absolutely. And Sandy Roberts... How you doing? We want to welcome to the podcast. And what do you got going on currently? You're doing so much. Uh, thank you. I am delighted to be on your podcast, especially because of this topic. I have worked with teenagers for the past 30, yes, three zero, 30 years. And I love working with them. And at the same time, some of the situations that they get into, uh, some of them are heartbreaking. Some of them you just want to go, what in the world did you do? But I love working with teens, and I love helping teens, teens help themselves and each other. 
Absolutely. You know, and when I you were speaking like, up. Oh, <laughs> oh, no, I want you to listen to this real quick. As you were thinking, I mean, as you were thinking, as you were talking, I was thinking, okay? And, uh, you know, you led me to a poem that I wrote uh, a, a years ago. Um, and I've never recited on the podcast. But for some reason, uh, you know, because tonight is not a fellowship, I feel like I need to recite this. A poem before we go to the next guest and uh, it's, it's called Ebony Ebony and it, it simply goes like this another woman slain trying to maintain free basin cocaine stuck in the game no it's not alright right seeing her on your corner looking like Friday night she ran away from family and friends maybe because her father raped her at 10 p.m. to be exact now she's hearing voices talking smack saying cut yourself stick yourself at 12 she met a man Fine as wine, smooth as silk, slippery as ice, soft like a feather from a dove, fell in love, similar to Cleopatra. Did it ebony like a glove? Yet another lie. P.I.M.P. in disguise, now she's dressing up in high heels and tights. Makeup, sex over black eyes and white lies, and still don't understand why. Another statistic of teen pregnancy. Reality of a sister growing up in this society, and I wish I could have warned her before I saw the news flash on TV. Ebony is me. Ebony is you. Ebony is me. And as we started this podcast, that poem came to my mind. I want to start it off first with Buddy Thornton, Possible Changes in Pro. And I want to ask you a question. Buddy, how, how would you talk to a person who is pressuring you and trying to make you make a decision that you don't necessarily want to make as a young person. If, if you were a young middle school person, young high school person, how would, how would you convey to this person to, hey, stop, um, I, I'm not, receiving this, I'm not feeling this, this is not the way, uh, this is not my, um, this is not direction I want to go with my life, and uh, I need you to stop making me feel uncomfortable because I think we have to give these, these strategies to our children, especially during COVID-19, because there's so much pressure, people are stressed, they're hard-pressed, and they don't have the words to say to build boundaries. What would you say to a young person listening in now to give them those tools to, I guess, defend themselves against peer pressure? That's my first question to start this off tonight. Isaiah, that is such an excellent prompt. And the first thing I would do is I would reassure them that it is perfectly okay to be human. It's perfectly okay to be free-flowing. Humans are social animals. We want to be engaged, and we want to be liked, and we want to feel like we can be around other people. But we don't control our emotions, and especially at their age, they need to understand that they don't have a filter and they don't and they don't necessarily have the tools and so they do need someone to guide them to be a shepherd to them and so it's okay to be confused and it's okay but if someone's pressuring you and they're trying to make you do something that you don't want to do or you don't feel is right you you just know in your core that it's not right you have to make kind of one of two decisions. Number one, is it a low-level pressure or is this a high-level pressure? Is this a, something that ha has something you can push away gently or is this something you have to elevate to a certain level? If it's something you can handle gently, a firm no, make very distinct eye contact, don't trigger them, don't have any expressions when you say no, just it's a no. No, I don't want to. I don't want to do that. Uh, I'm not comfortable with that. And keep moving. Keep moving away. If you stop, that is an indication that you want to engage. 
So you need to keep moving. Seek a safe public place. Make sure that you stay with that in mind, that you don't want this to elevate away from that gentle no, because the gentle no allows you to maintain a potential relationship later on, because you are a social animal. This is something that you leave in your hip pocket. It's something you can come back to later, but you do not want to encourage it or discourage it now, because to do either would be to trigger the other person. And the last thing you want to do is to trigger them. If it's something that needs to be elevated, if you have a fear factor, if it actually triggers your fight, flight, or freeze response, then you have to elevate it to another level. That's when you say no and you state a boundary. No, I don't want you in my space. You're, you're making me uncomfortable. And then you have to state consequences. If they say something derogatory, if they try to get you to respond or engage, they try to elevate the conversation, do not respond, because if you respond, that's an indication you do want to engage when you just told them you didn't want to engage. So if you do not respond, you're not going to trigger them. It's your emotions that you're trying to balance out. You, at that point, don't care about their emotions. You don't want to care about their emotions. So there's a couple of things you also can't do. Number one, you should never apologize for not wanting to engage. Don't even take it to that level. Don't say, I'm sorry, I don't want to be around you, because that means you're attaching emotionality to not wanting to be with them. So you don't apologize, and you shouldn't feel guilty. It's your emotions you're protecting. So why would you be guilty about your emotions? You should project calm in the storm. Don't allow it to trigger anger. If it's fear, it's freeze, it's flight, that's okay, but don't let it trigger anger, because if you... Allow it to trigger anger that also connotes and tells the other person that you're emotionally invested in them triggering you. So you don't want to do that. And because they did trigger the fear response in you, now you need to report it to somebody, report it to a significant other, get a friend involved, have a conversation, or talk to an authority figure. Do whatever you have to do. But those are the ways you stop someone on two levels. One, you might want to have a potential relationship that you maintain. The other, you definitely have to stop it before it gets going. Because there are people in our society that we don't know, they may have antisocial personality disorder. Uh, especially nowadays, uh, in the COVID era, we haven't been around people. So if someone has even the beginnings of some type of a mental challenge or problem, we cannot predict that. We can't control it. And if they decide they want to act, we cannot avoid them. We will become a victim. And because we cannot avoid it, we want to do anything we have to do to avoid triggering them. So we follow the recipe that I just laid out. And what that does is it prevents the triggers. That's the most important thing. Prevent the triggers, find a safe place, and follow the recipe. You know, what you said, because mm, we, we, we talked about the word thing. We talked about what we were going to get out of this podcast, and you said fellowship, and that's exactly what this is. The fellowship is the interplay. The fellowship is the interaction and the conversation between a group of people we call panelists, right? But the information that we're giving is going to help build people. It's going to help scaffold people. It's going to it's going to build minds, mindsets. Um, what you talked about tonight so far to me was those psychological needs. Was was that self? And I you say it a lot, self actualization. But yet you you pivoted toward safety you pivoted toward love and belonging and esteem and emotional needs and emotional success and emotional communication and that's that potential that every young person needs whether it's in leadership creativity networking skills networking abilities that's Maslow's hierarchy of needs model. Let me bring in, look, 
Buddy Thorn, as always, you bring so much value to this podcast. It is uh, immeasurable. I want to bring in really quick Sandy Roberts, and I just want to ask, what what are your takeaways for tonight? I mean, like what Buddy just said. What what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts? That's my question for you. I love what Buddy just said. Um, and he said that so well, and it's so important. Um, one of the things that, you know, probably goes along some of that line and, you know, maybe, maybe not. But one of the things that I've pushed heavily for the past 30 years are peer programs and that. So um, the schools where I've been active, um, I've helped them all start some type of a, a peer counseling program. Uh, and it, it may not be counseling, it might just be peer help, but I find that the, the fact of the matter is they tend to turn to each other first long before they'll seek an adult. And if the, what, the kids that they turn to don't have a trusted adult to go to, uh, that makes it even harder. And then you have, you know, more than one youth who's struggling to try to work some stuff out. Uh, I have found that helping several schools start these programs makes all the difference in the world. And not only does it make a long time and often career difference for the youth who are involved, uh, but it's coming from uh, usually they trust other kids long before they'll trust an adult. And, you know, if you can get to that trusted adult factor, uh, that's wonderful. Get your trusted adult, you know, involved as soon as possible and that so that you're not, you know, having to get to some other adult who's uh, maybe a little more challenging to work with. Uh, and it's true at, at, at all levels. There's just, just so many different ways that people respond uh, when they need assistance. Um, so that's kind of, you know, one of the things that I try to pretty much insist on is some type of a peer assistance program. And, that, and you know, I mean, there, some of them are showing up in the workplace. Some of them are showing up, you know, pretty much everywhere. Uh, but it, it's really important to, to know who you can turn to and that and how quickly they're going to be there for you, no matter what's going on. Wow, that was precious. That was so precious. Uh, I'm going to come back to you. Uh, please hold tight. I'm definitely coming back to you. I <laughs> definitely want to uh, pull some a key key information from you uh, I, I want to go next to uh, Patricia Sadler uh, because uh, you know while I was hearing from Sandy and Buddy is is those those uh, I, I would guess I would say facets that directed me to questions about okay how do you take what you know they just said and put it into a, a classroom and make it uh, a community to make it to make that classroom to make that classroom have a positive uh, overtone when, when, when the children come in when students come in they feel that this is a place for not only um, uh, interactive but learning and that this learning is across the board uh, despite what level cognitively what level that this child is on uh, they all are coming to the table to consume knowledge um, mm -hmm. equally across the board, right? And so that's that culture, that's that culture with that high, I would say, expectation, right? Mm -hmm. And 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 that set up uh, where they, you know, it's designed physically with, you know, mm -hmm. all of that is a part of it. As an educator, as a teacher. As, as a school leader, uh, we are often asked to implement policies that are misaligned, right, with those needs, those needs mm -hmm. of our students, of our scholars, of our future educators. My question for you, how do we assess, how do we challenge, how do we support and how do we measure? Because I always say this, we, we try to measure, you know, education with technology in the mix through standardized mm -hmm. testing. 
Mm-hmm. How do we measure fundamental principles for educators while maintaining in- inclusiveness? <laughs> there it is. Mm-hmm. Being inclusive, being inclusive, right? Giving all our children, all our students, all our scholars a fair shake at the table. I mean, we want, we're going to listen to you. We want to walk with you. We want to, we will listen. We will, we will try our best to understand, but we want you to take the lead and show us and walk with us and let us know what that looks like in your, in your eyes. Yeah. Thank you for that. Absolutely. Uh, Well, you know, I love that the word tonight is fellowship, uh, because I think that's where it starts. This idea, um, I looked up the word fellowship, and it's this idea of friendly association, especially with people who share one's one's interests. And when schools and how we uh, invite teachers to the work uh, actually is a fellowship, we then have to walk in challenge and support that is all about inviting the identities, the stories, the representations and expressions, the self-knowledge of our students, right? And right now, so many of our policies are misaligned with that type of fellowship, right? With this idea that we welcome right now with our policies um, of standardization and of um, for-profit curriculum and testing that is um, really grinding and not allowing for the time and reflection and crafting of welcoming students' stories and their whole identities, right? And, and inviting us to challenge by really setting rigor not as this ability to regurgitate or re, re, you know, tell or check off boxes, but to express your word and your identity, your story in multiple ways, not just by writing and reading, um, but also by orating and moving and painting and all of the ways in which we express our identities, right? Our sensory ways of knowing ourselves. And I think when we do that, really the measure becomes, are our students able to collaborate and be collective and have that self-knowledge, right? That expressive and healthy relationships of understanding that we all come with different geniuses and with different abilities and that we all meet in common ground by having our stories and by having our identities. And so when we can align our policies to allow for outcomes to be about every student being able to come in with their identities, their whole identities, and be able to craft it in a way, right, and and really redefining and redesigning what rigor is because rigor really is about taking what we know and our experiences and and our geniuses whether they be linguistic um, expressive sensorial cultural um, all of our geniuses and be able to create something new with our learning that then we put out right as a new creation so I think the way we uphold principles for educators is um, I'm, I'm informed and inspired by Dr. Moha- uh, Goldie Mohammed's work on cultivating genius because for us to be able to welcome identities and welcome our students' stories and represent them and allow them for their expression and self-knowledge to happen, we need to do that with ourselves. We need to cultivate our genius and the genius of our teachers and the genius of our students, right? And so when we do that, I truly believe that becomes the fellowship. Listen, 
that was uh, hot, explosive. But listen, listen. Hold up. Let me let me ask you a question. What? Tell us now a little bit about yourself and what you do, Patricia uh, Settler. So we mm-hmm. we know because I, I want them to hear what you do because what you just dropped on us was a bomb. But uh, <laughs> let us know what you <laughs> little bit about what you do. So I get to facilitate uh, third grade learning in Gaithersburg, Maryland, and I'm at a dual language school, so I get to facilitate the Spanish side of the day in third grade. So um, I also, I came to education by way of um, education policy. I wanted, I, I got a master's in education policy and thought, okay, if I'm going to really write policy, I need to go see what this you know, classroom thing is all about. And uh, 18 years later, I'm still in it. But uh, I did, you know, I, I, I feel like I spend a lot of time thinking about how do we as teachers and students start seeing ourselves as policymakers because often our policy is made so far away, right? And um, I, I'm originally from Brazil and I came to this country when I was um, 15 and it was, um, it was in- I came by way of Puerto Rico and the Netherlands and it was interesting how much of my identity had to be, um, you know, kind of checked at the door. For, for education to happen in a way. And, and so I think that informs um, how I've been as a teacher, but also kind of how I see us as teachers and educators and, and, and students at the building level, at the school level, really informing policy moving forward and redesigning um, what we envision for public education in this country. Listen, don't forget to send it to your family out there in Brazil. We we got people listening mm-hmm. in Brazil. Don't forget to send it to your people in Puerto Rico. Oh, wow. You Thank know, you. I got family in Puerto Rico. I got God family in Puerto Rico. Uh, Patricia. Oh, okay. Tito Puentes, Tito Puentes Jr. Yeah. That's like my God brother. <laughs> yeah, we, we play music together. And so make sure you send it to them because we don't... Music. Uh, Absolutely. You know, our staff are not showing that we have Puerto Rico yet, but we're going to have Puerto Rico after you uh, send it out to your friends. Yeah. <laughs> They'll get it. They'll get it. I'll send it, send it out. Send it out. future friends from Puerto Rico. I love it. I love it. I love it. Listen, guys, so what we just heard from Patricia is something that we don't talk about a lot. <clears throat> And that is social, that is upward mobility. Okay. We also heard professional growth as educators. And you're talking about amending policies in education, right? Usually you see this coming from, you know, maybe school board trustees, but it's probably going to come from governmental officials, right? Dealing with property taxes and things of that nature. Okay, and so uh, this self-reflection that we just heard from, you know, this mighty warrior, I would say, it is so detrimental for our learning culture, right? As it relates to uh, assessments, as it relates to those challenges that we're looking at ahead, you know, in this COVID-19 environment, platform that we have to know how to navigate through so we can support our young people so we can support our young people's development and I want to pull I guess I'm picking on her a little bit but I want to pull on Sandy Roberts again because I want her to articulate if she would some of the key principles that she heard from, uh, that we heard from uh, Patricia Settler. Um, yeah, so Sandy, what what did you get from, what, what's your takeaway from what you just heard? Oh, that was wonderful and that, to hear what you were saying. And that, oh, I, I want to apologize if I lisp and that I'm having some dental work done. <laughs> And it's it's kind of like causing a little bit of a lisp here, and that so I'm drooling on myself. Sorry. Um, 
you know, we we need in the education system. We need so many more Patricias, and that we we need you everywhere. We really, really, really do. And that I, I didn't go into teaching. I ended up teaching, but I didn't go into it on purpose. And but what I did do was I went into working with youth on purpose. And I lived in the San Francisco area for many years, and I I ended up creating a program that was basic, was somewhat youth-run and funded by some really big foundations. And it really made a huge difference to have the youth themselves very interested and very caring about what's going on. And at the same time, I ran into so many teachers who who weren't passionate about what they were doing. And what Patricia did for me today was showed me passion for caring about the kids and their families and everything that's going on. And the more of that, that we can get into the schools and, and into the communities, the, the, the better this world is going to be. And, you know, for me, uh, I mean, I want to see the youth supported in so many different ways. And I've had the privilege of being part of that. Uh, Buddy and I belong to an organization that, you know, we used to hold youth conferences. And, and the students would be the facilitators of, of many of the breakout sessions. Um, you know, it's just, it's wonderful, you know, what these youth can do. And it's terrible how, you know, how as adults sometimes uh, families kind of have so many other things also going on. Uh, You know, now everybody's in the house and that as opposed to everybody being in the school. Uh, You know, it's going back and forth a little. It's not as easy as, you know, as it was before to be able to differentiate, you know, when you're you're there in your learning atmosphere and when you're home, um, in essence, sharing what you're learning. Uh, The last couple of semesters that I taught for Phoenix College, both for the college campus and for their charter high school, um, you know, was very challenging because everybody was at home. Uh, before that, everybody was in the classroom. So, you know, you just have, have really different issues. But one of the things that we, for me, and that is us as adults can get, you know, we, we can get down to being communicative with the youth in their language, in, in their being, and that, and acknowledging that crummy stuff happens, acknowledging, you know, that things suck and that, and, you know, kind of working together to try to figure ways to get out of things sucking. And sometimes, you know, they'll tell me something, and I'll say, oh, man, that sucks. And they go, yeah, you know, it does. And that, well, man, let's see what we can do to change it. And that, and you know, and they're on board, and so how we can help them is, you know, we need to be inventive. We need to be. Oh, one of my favorite things um, over the years has been what I call yuck away. Y u c k yuck, and that, and yuck away is performed by everybody. By you know, you have a group of kids who are supporting each other, and something's happened, and it really sucks, and that, and. I've taken them like out in different places on school grounds or around the community. And, you know, we just will hold hands and jump up and down and yell, yuck away. I, I know it sounds like a kindergarten exercise, but let me tell you, high school students love it. And so do the college students and that and so do the, the younger kids. And just being able to express that things suck is so helpful. So, you know, we really do, like you're all saying, we have to meet these kids where they're at. We have to, you know, we have to be prepared in that. And the way that we can be prepared is by seeing and appreciating them at their level of what they're doing and what they would like to accomplish. So thank you, Patricia. Oh, that was Oh, that was so good. Listen, we're about to go to Kia Hall, but before we do, uh, I will... You know, this is getting so good. This is getting so good. It is just good. It's good. It's good. It's good. Uh, I feel like we have already addressed so many issues. 
I feel like we have focused on so many solutions. We have already. Uh, before we go to Kia Hall, before we go to Kia Hall, Buddy Thornton, I can feel you right now. <laughs> what are your thoughts about the conversation so far? Well, you know, it, it it's without overstepping anybody else. I don't because I never like to do that. I really want to say that everybody has the same thing in their heart. These kids have had two years of COVID. And when it comes to fellowship, humans, again, from the very first thing I said tonight, humans are social animals. We have to give them the opportunity to embrace that pull. We have to let them be social animals within the construct of being in the school environment, whether it's middle school, high school, college, or even beyond when they're in the workforce. But with the idea that they can be unique and they can just exercise a, a belief that they belong and that they have value. And that's what I'm getting from everybody in, in the conversation is that, you know, these kids, they've lost two years and we have to reinstill that sense of value in them. And if everybody could just do that the way everybody's talking tonight, and I'm sure Kia is going to say the same thing, we have to instill a sense of value in these kids. and. All it takes is for you to look them right in the eye and let them know that you're there with them. That That's what it takes. And that's what I'm taking away from the entire conversation. You know, as, as Patricia Seller said, we have, I think she used Dr. Uh, Goldie Muhammad. She said, I believe Dr. Goldie Muhammad, she's, she's, if we're talking about the same person, she is uh, focused on rethinking intervention rethinking intervention <laughs> and you know for those educators passionate like the ones that's on this panel tonight I, I cannot wait to see the effective practices guidances that you guys are going to create moving forward I, I can't wait to see it I can't wait to read those books that you guys are working on um, you guys are the gap fillers. You're closing the gap. You are the role models. You are those those real world activists as it relates to mentorship, as it relates to internships, whether you're using virtual platforms to help children understand current events. Kia Hall, I'm coming to you. <laughs> How are you doing? What you what are you been up what have you been up to? Let us know what you got going on. Hello, hello. I am an educator, a, a mentor and a speaker. I help to encourage and motivate youth, college students, that no matter what their obstacles, adversity, that they can rise above those obstacles and adversity and walk into their God-given their God-given path, no matter what they may face. Okay, now that's powerful now. Now, this is what we call, and don't get offended, this is like a big boy, big girl conversation we have in the night. <laughs> And I'm, I'm going to ask you a two-part question, a two-pronged question. Okay. One is, what's your takeaways from the night? And two is, what is your why? And how do you use your why to encourage education? And it can be in traditional college or in different career fields. Because we do know that, you know, college is not the um, you know in all for every career yeah. choice but what what do you get from tonight's conversation what did you get from tonight's conversation and what is your why and how can you use your why 
to promote or to encourage. Yeah, that, that's my question. Go ahead. I'm, we're listening. We're, we're waiting. Come on. Come on. Come with it. Come on with it. Come on with it. So my takeaway from tonight's conversation so far is everyone who is a panelist are they're passionate about encouraging and helping support young people to be who they're supposed to be, to be who they're called to be, and that we have to meet them where we are. Um, in the classroom, people look at it being all students learn the same way, all scholars learn the same way, but that's not the case. Each and every one of us, as um, Patricia said, we have our own identity. And when it comes to that, we have to meet students where they are, find out what they like, find out what makes them happy, find out what brings that spark to them, and from there, incorporate their likes and who they are into education, into learning, and that helps them to grow and realize what they're called to to do, what they're called to be. Really, for me, you're a mentor. And you mentor young people and you give them those ingredients. You give them those motivations. And it's intrinsic and it's extrinsic, meaning you show them ways to self-motivate themselves to be great. But then you role model extrinsically on how great looks. Step by step, one on one and in group settings. Describe to us, can we walk with you through a typical day of Kia Hall and what does it look like when you're doing your what you do best? That's my question. Well, a typical day um, for me, I work actually with middle school uh, scholars. And so many of them, based on the hand that they've been dealt, whether it be their geographic area, um, the family upbringing, they've been told that they they can't accomplish, they can't do things. So they already have the mindset of defeat. And so one of the things that I do when I see my scholars on a daily basis, I remind them and tell them how great they are. I speak those positive affirmations into them. I actually have them in the mornings and the afternoons when they come to me, we actually practice positive affirmations. Um, And so I have my students repeat positive affirmations. They also write their own positive affirmations. And as they're going through this, I begin to see that as they're saying it, they actually begin to believe it. And I tell my scholars that what they think becomes their reality. What they think, they start to speak it, they start to walk in it, which allows them in turn to actually see the greatness inside of them that I already see and help pull out that greatness, and which allows them to know that no matter what obstacle, no matter what may come on their path, that they are great and they don't allow others to tell them what they can accomplish because they know for themselves what they can accomplish. You preaching now. You, we went from fellowship to preaching. Let me pull from... Well, let me pull real quick because we, we're out of time, we're out of time, but before we go, let me, let me, let me do two things. Let me pull from, back from uh, Patricia. Uh, Patricia, you have seen, we have all seen uh, children that we have tried to develop, but they have been through so much trauma that we have had to resuscitate them. We have had mm-hmm. to be that CPR tech to breathe life back into them, right? Because they've seen so much death, especially during COVID-19. How many family members have been affected? Right now, we're over, we're plus 800,000 in the U.S. alone as, as it relates to death, the death toll. How do you use your skills as a resuscitator, right? Your skills as a resuscitator to breathe life 
back into your students. We want to know. We're going to listen. What's your thoughts? Mm. Thank you for that. Yeah, you know, so much. And, and I'm really moved by what Kia Hall just shared, you know, this idea that, like, our, we show up to help them see what's already in them, right? And I think that when we think about the trauma that our students come with, that's part of their stories, right? And um, the the process of resuscitation and of support and continuous support, not a one-and-done thing, is that daily practice of um how do they express themselves? How do they move? How do we not compartmentalize their beings, right? And um, how beautiful, Kia, that you have, you know, you, you have a practice of daily affirmations because ultimately we need to rewire um, uh, their brilliant brains so that they do develop trauma resiliency and they do develop um, an ability to have um, a set of strategies that they can go to of self-care and of self-knowledge of this is what I'm experiencing, this is what I need, and being able to share that um, you know, with their peers, as Cindy Roberts said, um, is key so that they have those relationships, but also with the adults, the trusted adults. And, our, you know, in our classroom, um, first and foremost comes the relationship so that whenever a student is in trauma um, and needs something, they are able to, to know that they can come to me um, to the the other teachers in our room and, and say, this is what I need and this is what I request and making space for that is so important. Um, and, and beyond that, being able to tell their stories, um, not crafted like my textbook says, I'm going to have to craft it, but in a way that is authentic and that speaks to how they want to express that story. Um, and so I think bringing in how can we bring in art and movement, self-knowledge and, you know, relationship to every single day to where it's a practice and not a one and done thing. And it's not something we just do performatively, but we actually invest in as, you know, time and money um, to work with our students. Listen, listen, we are out of time. You heard it first. Before we go, I want to ask two questions. Uh, so Patricia, will you come back to the podcast? Absolutely. I'd feel honored. Thank you. We thank you. And Kia, will you come back to the podcast? Yes, I will. It will be, it, it will be an honor. Wow. And... No, we thank you. And Sandy, will you come back to the podcast? I sure will. Oh, it's going to be good. And what are the takeaways for tonight? Who wants to go first? Uh, I'll, I'll jump in first, and then we'll let the ladies uh, uh, wrap it up because they know how to put the bow on the tree. And since uh, we're only two days from uh, Christmas, I think that would be uh, appropriate. I think... Uh, we started off with fellowship and we got into some preaching and uh, I think that uh, the key word actually tonight should be passion. Uh, one of the classes that I teach in, in my world is uh, the four pillars and the third pillar of the four pillars is passion. How do people find passion? And Sayed El Sayed says, passion is a key to unlimited success. Without it, we wither and dry. It drives our hearts, our minds, and our souls to achieve the best possible results. Well, you've heard me on multiple podcasts say that when we're teaching children, we have to get into their hearts so that we can reach into their minds before we can feed their souls. And it's all about passion. 
everybody on the podcast tonight certainly has shown that they have passion for this topic. Oh, God, yes. Who, who wants to go next? I'll go next. My takeaway from tonight is connection. Um, building those connections with our students because in order for them to see, grow, evolve, they have to, we have to as adults, educators, mentors, whatever role we may play in their lives, we have to have that connection. We have to have that bond. Um, they have to feel like they can trust us. And once we establish that connection, we can help instill and help them to grow and overcome obstacles and fill in those gaps that they need to be who they're called to be. Exactly. Oh, what's going next? I'll go next. This is Sandy. Um, I, I, you know, I'm going to send you uh, a, a link to one of the high school's peer counseling programs and that, that I helped start a bunch of years ago. And it, it's the type of thing that works in high school and in middle school. And I, I think just looking through it, uh, you'll and the school counselor put this together and that and she had been passionate about wanting to have that type of a program and I was able to help her make it come true and so um, the information on doing it and what you can do and everything I, I hope will spur some ideas uh, for each of you in your own schools and I just want to say thank you you know thank you buddy you know for uh, telling me about this and everything else thank you Isaiah and that for doing this and thank you for everybody else and that who spoke and who teaches and who cares about and you know thinks about the kids and tries to do something for them so thank you thank you thank you sandy roberts you are loved here and who's who's last who wants to go who wants to wrap it up yeah so i'll go ahead um so i'm very moved by what everybody shared tonight and the connections between the site, you know, the ideas that we all shared. And so um, thank you. Thank you for um, doing your work and thank you for serving as you do. And um, I thank you, Isaiah, um, for having this amazing, uh, uh, you know, platform and podcast for us to be able to have these connections. So I'll leave with the, the word uh, co-creation and, and collectivity because I think um, we're here for it and um, I'm grateful for all that we'll go off and, and continue to do. So thank you. Tonight was amazing. Make sure you share this with your friend. Hey, this was the 126th episode of the Impact Educate Felicia. Tonight, we are out of here. 